Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. It all began with a scream. Over nine. One. One. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, the ghost face with the most face, Justin Gerber, and we are back in Woodsboro. Look, we've driven ourselves mad, and I think it's safe to say that we're all a bunch of sick fucks, so why not go into the category of sick fucks? It's a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right? You die. You're crazy, both of you. So I wanted to say something about this because now we're talking about the killers. Yes, absolutely. I was talking to someone about this movie and about how I just watched it last year. And I was like, yeah, you know, something that just never really quite sat well with me was I just didn't believe. I didn't quite wholeheartedly believe that Emma Roberts was responsible for all of these murders. And they were like, no, there's another killer in, in the movie. And I, was, I was that, it totally wow. erased from my memory that there was a second killer. And I was like, this is going to be a really fun rewatch because I really don't remember this movie I just watched. So pretty weird. Well, right off the bat on that, Mac, let's go around the circle here. So Deandra. Yeah. Do you think that even though Jill was the mastermind that Charlie did all of the killings in this movie? Or do you think that she actually killed certain people along the way? And if so, who do you think she might've killed? So I came across a list of like people that they, we think that Charlie took down and it's like not a lot of people. I think he, he could have done quite a few, but I feel like Jill really enjoyed the aspect of killing people because she was so unhinged and she wanted to do it right. Um, that she probably did quite a few of them. I don't know. For me, Charlie just kind of, he, he just kind of floats in the background. He's got like this, okay, so you think he might be like a Randy. He isn't. He's kind of motivated by romantic feelings for Jill, but he's there to help. And he, he just kind of, I don't know, he just kind of floats around in the background. To me, I feel like Jill really, not only did she hold the, the reins mentally, she also held it physically. Because it seemed like when he was like, I got pretty good footage that he was like trying to impress her. Because I feel like she just wanted it done right. So she probably did most of the work. Well, I know indisputably he did Olivia. Because she's watching yeah. with Kirby across the way there. So that's like the only one that you can really say that's got to be the case. Well, no. See, I wrote all these down because oh, I was really... This is what I'm talking well, because, about. Yeah. Because of my whole thing where I was like, I just don't know. I just don't think... 
she's, she's so tiny. You know, like the height stuff doesn't make sense. So I was really trying to notice. So I was like, there are like three kills that I think Jill definitely did. Okay. What do you got? Uh, it's Charlie, right? I keep saying Colkin. Yeah. Charlie. Charlie. Okay. So <laughs> first height first wise name. and strength wise in terms of throwing Marnie out of the window felt like it was probably him. Although I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he's Maybe pretty short true, too, you know? though, isn't he? Yeah, they're both like yeah, the same five, size. Yeah, five, right? six. No, five, but six, I, I yeah. was kept noticing his height in comparison to other characters during the film, so that when they were being chased or whatever it was, I was trying to be like, okay, is that him? Or, but um, I think Colkin obviously killed. <laughs> Colkin obviously <laughs> kills yeah, Olivia <laughs> because Jill's next door. Like yep. I said, I think Colkin attacks Gale because uh, at the. Jill is still at the house in her room mm. Mm. at the party. I mean, she might have just left or just, you know, because Kirby picked her up. Deputy Perkins and Brody, I think, were killed by Jill because she had just left, but maybe the she barn, didn't actually yeah. leave. Yeah. And then also, there is a one weird thing that I didn't quite understand is they say they saw Ghostface down the street at like a couple houses away. But the logistics of that don't make sense. That it would that Jill was there, but then someone was at the house, killing them. But but someone's at the barn too, so it would have presupposed there was a third murder. It was kind of weird that they even said, "Well, we went to investigate this someone down the street." I thought that was really strange, but um, I never could make sense of that that one bit. Let's see, Jill's mother. The only reason I think Jill's mother was killed by by Charlie is because. Jill said that she was picked up by Kirby. And so then you have like Kirby as the alibi, but, and I, Kirby did end up picking up Jill, right? Mm-hmm. They, they took her to the house. True. So then I'm like, okay, well then I don't think it was Jill that did some of those kills. So, But when we see everybody at the house, Charlie's also, there already talking to Jill. So who knows who got there first? Yeah, very I mean, true. A, a lot very of this stuff is still yeah. mystery, right? A lot of this stuff is still mystery. Yeah. Jill's missing when they're trying to look her when when sydney and the mom are kind of going yeah. around the house they're like where's where's jill that's why like, oh, I, yeah that's jill? why i thought those three people i thought the mother because it seemed more personal to her obviously i think that she would want to do that you know and then yeah, i was gonna say i thought doesn't she confirm she cops. killed the mother doesn't she say something about killing yeah, her, I mother, think her mom she even does say that at the end like well I, you know we didn't i didn't want to have to do oh, that, i didn't know but, if it was just like it was part of the plan to kill her mom i didn't know if she actually stabbed yeah her that's where i was yeah, she said her, even even her own mom had to go, which yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. like a great loss. Um, those, I, those barn deaths, definitely though. Yeah, I think I think I I, uh, I mean I agree with all your all your assessments, Mac. I, but, I um, and then yeah, the last one was Robbie. I think was killed by by Charlie as well because that when he's behind him grabbing him, he's clearly taller than him. And it's just like, I couldn't get past that fact that I actually really like Emma Roberts. Like when she when she's unmasked. In those last like sequences, she's really unhinged, and I kind of make yeah. I kind of always joke about why are all the why after they are unmasked are they always really are they always trying to be as unhinged as Billy and Stu? Like it, it doesn't ring true for me in the third movie. Like when he's unmasked, he's like, "Think about Sydney." Da, 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 da. You know, it's like, wait a minute, why are you all of a sudden trying to act like as crazy as these guys? Like it just seemed kind of like we're doing this trope, but. I think that she actually sells it in this uh, really well. There's, like you said, Justin, when she's in the hospital and she's saying, you know, like, yeah, this feels like really like, you know, we're tacking this on here. And like, I really like like her performance. In that, I, that I bit, will but. say this, and I've seen this a few times now. 
of the four movies and the six killers that we've had, I think that Jill is the most surprising. Yeah. Does anybody agree with me on that? I, I, I think you just yeah. didn't see it coming stunned. at all. Well, because think about this. Think about all the other killers and all in the other movies. We'd never spend time with Billy and Stu alone. We never spend time. Uh, God bless him. I forgot his name. The Timothy Oliphant character in Scream Two. We don't spend time with the Mrs. Loomis alias alone. We don't spend time except for two seconds in the basement with Sydney's half brother, whatever that dumb plot is in Scream Three. But they do such a great job of specifically framing Jill as the filmmakers are doing this as the new Sydney. We're spending so much time with her one on one, so much time with uh, with her as the focus of scenes as opposed to just being a sounding board or as the good friend. And I just think it's they do such a great job of that misdirect where I just did not see any of this coming. But then when you rewatch it, it still works. You know? Yeah. I feel like this time I was I was really trying to you know, one of my pet peeves when you, when, with movies like this is like, there's always, I think there's a scene in that, that the show, the killing where you spend a lot of alone time with certain characters and they're like being suspicious of like things. And then they end up being the killer and you're like, wait, that doesn't seem, doesn't make sense. Unless they knew they were being filmed by a film crew <laughs> to like be pretending like they're scared. You know what I mean? Like that, that always bothers me. They do a really good job. If, if there's if she's alone, there's usually someone else around or something there where she's putting on the show, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like there isn't a moment where she is alone having a reaction that wouldn't make sense if she was the killer. You know what I mean? Like they did do a really good job of kind of skirting that. So it, it's funny. I don't know. Because at first when you said that, I'm like, no, no, it, it wasn't. I don't think she's the most surprising. But then when I thought about it, because remember I said I didn't remember much from this movie upon rewatching it for the podcast. And once it started and I saw Kieran Culkin, I'm like, oh, I remember. Yeah, he's the killer. But mm-hmm. I didn't think that for her at all. I'm like, oh, shit, she was too. As far as being the most surprising, I still think, and it's funny watching it now because it almost seems quaint by comparison, but I do remember seeing the original Scream and them really playing with your expectations about Billy. And I was totally fooled by the way they fake kill him in the movie, which watching now I'm like, Oh yeah, of course he's the killer. Like that they would never show a horror. But even ad- by comparison, I think I would say that even during that entire movie, you're still pretty mm-hmm. sure it could be Billy until he gets close. 100% you're going but back with and Jill, forth. Yeah. I never mm-hmm. got the sensation just the way that they're, they're framing all of her scenes. Yeah. That she's the killer. Like Deandra, when you were watching some theaters, was there ever a moment that you thought it was her or was there even a moment where you were like, there's no way it could possibly be her because of how the story's unfolding? Hard to remember. I think I was just so excited at the time to be watching scream for that. I didn't necessarily think about it too much ahead of time. Like as I've gotten yeah. older, I've been like, okay, let's try to guess who it is. Yeah. Like I watched twin peaks and I was like, I guessed it in the second episode. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I think we wouldn't, necessarily have ex- I don't think I would have necessarily have expected it because really in movies that I had seen up until that point in time like somebody's framed as the final girl like they're the final girl they're yeah. they're you know most likely not the killer so I don't think it was something that I really expected and I think more than anything though what I do remember is just kind of being surprised at how crazy Joe was and and the things that she did to herself in kind of at the end, it was just, 
it was just so psychotic. That was the only thing is how she seems like this just normal girl. And then she's just actually extremely crazy underneath. In my opinion, she's one of the most psychotic ghost face killers oh, in yeah. the franchise. Yeah. Terrifying. It, and it, go, it goes on so long too. That's because like, like in the first yeah. movie, in the, I love it because the first movie, it's like, okay, they stab each other a little bit and they make the thing about Billy's going too hard on Stu. But in this, it just keeps going. You're just like, oh, like it was well, really cringy in a great way. It was one of those things where I I almost started laughing because it goes on so long. But you realize like she really hasn't been, except for being like sliced a little bit, like she really kind of has to, you're like, well, look at the mayhem around you. You really got to, you do kind of have to sell it. So I kind of feel like it earns the the length of that, you know? It just shows how much of a sociopathic, psychopathic genius she is, is that just shows like the links that she's willing to go through, not just in terms of having the wherewithal to, wipe the prints, put the gun and the knife in certain areas. But like, like you all said, just the constant self-harm, like running into the glass frame, throwing herself on the glass table, yeah. stabbing herself in the shoulder. It's just pulling out, pulling out her hair by using Trevor's oh, dead hand. Yeah. It's like, it's such a wild over the top sequence that absolutely makes sense. in a scream four. Yeah. And the, and I think I, I love that little, last second where she lays down next to Sydney and then she just right before it cuts, she like she just moves her hand just to mirror Sydney just a little bit mm-hmm. more. It's just like that attention to detail is like they are like she could have probably gotten away with it. You know, but it would have been a different movie. I if this had if it was Charlie and like I don't know fucking one like Adam Brody's character or something like that. I'm not sure where this would land in my rankings, but I, I do think that the finale of this is the strongest finale since the first movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I love, I love Scream 2, but I, I think that the finale of this is actually yeah. better than the Scream 2 finale. Not just because of the reveal, well, yeah, but because of the action involved, too. It's just Yeah, and Scream 2, even as a kid, and Scream 2 is my favorite of the, spoiler alert for rankings of the franchise, but Scream 2, even as a kid, I remember the finale feeling like a little bit much, you know, just with the the theatricality of it and everything. And it's great. Right. I love it. But it's like, it, it does feel like it pushes it over the edge. Whereas the weirdly in this movie, I feel like some of the stuff leading up to the finale, some of the humor that doesn't quite work for me, some of the long-winded storytelling, that almost feels a little bit much and less and less believable to me, but then weirdly it all coalesces in the third act, which I think is a really cool trick. Like the movie goes up for me once the finale starts, which is, is not always the case with horror films or even scream films. Yeah. DeAndre, where do you think this lands for you in terms of the finales and, and the big reveals of the stream movies mm. to put you Good on the spot? Good question. <laughs> Cause tough. I really do love, like I said, I really do love this movie. I love how insane Jill is. Number three is just definitely last. It's definitely last. Yeah, I think we'd agree with you on that. Oh, yeah. One, I will say it's just iconic. Mm-hmm. I'm such a huge Matthew Lillard fan, so that just kind of always wins out for me. He's so good in that, yeah. But there's like this this toss-up. I mean, two is so so beautiful. I just love that reveal and like having Billy's mom in it and 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 just with the stage production. I just I love that whole thing, but I'm going to have to put two, probably number three, and I'm going to have to put four at number two because I just think it's it's just so insane, that whole setup and watching Jill by herself just go through all of this and and stabbing her cousin and, and talking about how she doesn't need 
friends. She needs fans. I mean, just, just mm. all of it, just sitting there. It's just, <laughs> and, and because I'm so involved in social media, I think it probably resonates with me even more because I've not only experienced it and put a lot of thought into my social media, but just watching people over the years, I just feel like it's, it resonates with me more. So I would have to say four or no one, four, two, and then three. I think I would agree with you on that, on that ranking in terms of the finale, the finales and the, and the reveals. And I mean, I, I can't stress this enough. I know there's still a lot of people out there who, who blessedly just don't go on social media, you know, are totally unaware of some of the nightmare trappings that we find people in or put ourselves in in some cases. Because like you, Dan, you're like, you know, I'm very much involved in social media with the podcasting and everything else over the years. I know, Dan, you are too, to a certain extent. Mac, you're kind of still like, and I, God bless you, trying to keep Twitter out of your life. <laughs> it's like you know, I, have, I keep I have, going back. My but, Twitter presence is right now. It's mostly just you know re, retweeting Halloween. Hey, and and it's always blessedly approved, because you know? I don't. You know, you go on there, and I, I long for the days of of when social media was all people pretending to be happy and posting pictures of their breakfast. And and most of the time, I go on there. You know, unless I'm. I will say because of the algorithms, you know, most of the time it's just showing me really cool horror merch, which I'm really into. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I definitely go down that rabbit hole. But yeah. well, I say all that to say that, honestly, of the six killers at this point, the way I've seen people behave on social media, like I, I 100% Jill is the killer maybe above any of the other killers in the franchise. Yeah, like in terms it. of putting on that, yeah. that false yeah. front, you know, and, and just being so obsessed with being recognized. And that need to for recognition above all else, and I totally and that's why I think this movie's aged so well is because it totally foretold the next ten years. I, no, I, I was just going to say that. I mean, I know we touched on that earlier on the episode, but when I think about things, I mean, well, I don't know. It's, it's this is pretty extreme too. You know, when I think about things like Logan Paul. You know, wandering right? Who is he? Was he the Paul brother who wandered through the suicide forest oh. and found a dead guy? And yeah. you know, and and all. I mean violence that is actually live. I mean, the whole idea of live streaming kills or violence or everything, that's not, a, that's not wrong as far as nowadays. Yeah. We're, we, we haven't had an instance of two highly coordinated serial killers inspired by movies, inspired by other killings, et cetera, et cetera. But the, I, yeah. And, but the idea of, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it, but you know, I've, I've seen people I know take things in their lives, whether, you know, tra- tragedy or sickness or whatever else. And definitely, I don't want to say exploit because I want to, you know, I want to have goodwill towards people and, and assume the best intentions of people. But we are in this weird kind of space where you can monetize things like the, I know the word gets overused, but trauma, and you, you can monetize violence, and you, every everything is. We all have cameras in our pocket. Everything is available to be filmed now, and everything. And if everything is available, then everything can be fetishized or commodified or whatever else. Even if we know we're not doing it, and I don't even know if the movie like. I think they were they were you know spotting a trend that was going on then but i wonder if i you know i don't know if the filmmakers were thinking oh this is where it's all gonna go but i I, the movie is so prescient to me in a Mm -hmm. way that was really astounding like rewatching it this time around even even though i'll have misgivings about it that we'll get to later with characters but thematically i think this is one of the most on point of the scream series for me if not the most on point about what because the first scream Obviously, the best. I don't think anyone's gonna. Argue. Well, I mean, even though Scream Two is my favorite, but I mean, I don't think we're gonna argue about the originality and the the what Scream did. But once again, that was more like it wasn't so commenting on what was going on around at the time. It almost 
commented on horror and then shepherded it all in, right? Whereas with this, I feel like it was sort of pinpointing something that was beginning to happen. And then it did eventually blow up in the way, similarly to the way the movie presents it as blowing up, if that makes sense. Yeah, because those first, especially the first one is so intent on talking about horror, 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 horror influence. Mm-hmm. And this kind of branches out into its own thing in terms of just teen behavior and, and social media behavior in a way that transcends even the earlier entries. Uh, I think the most chilling line of all the lines that Jill says, and trust me, she says some rather disturbing lines, but it's the, in terms of achieving fame, she says, you don't have to achieve anything. You just have to have fucked up things happen to you. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying, Dan, is that people trying to capitalize on awful things sometimes with, without the best intentions, just for the endorphin rush of people liking or retweeting, you know, and that can become a very dangerous path go down i mean hell dude i've i've posted stuff not not violence or anything but you know i've i've no, posted pretty stuff on social media pretty, <laughs> yeah all those videos of me killing raccoons all dog fights with hank all, all the dog fighting I, I host in my backyard no but i i mean i've posted stuff before and i'm like yeah this is fun and then i'll, I'll check in like oh is anyone liking it oh no one's liking it oh is anyone like uh, no, you know i mean I, we've all done it like i've i've totally posted stuff for attention yeah I, no we're, listen i get it that's the problem that's also can be a problem is that we're so reliant on strangers who will never, who we will never know giving us that type of checkmark notification to just to feel something as opposed to like just concentrating on the people that you should be concentrating on. And once again, this is not me condemning other people. I absolutely am, 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 fall prey to that as well. So, but it's just this cycle that we're all kind of in. Anyway, look, I love Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me at just uh, seven on <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin Gerber seven on Twitter. And I do, uh, I'm on there a lot and I, it can be, look, I do think social media can be a great thing for the most part. I really do. I think that when it's used properly, when we're just trying to have a good time or alert people to, to serious issues that really deserve to be talked about, it's an incredible, it can be a transcendent thing, but this movie does a good job. I think of also alerting us to some of the dangers the, the pitfalls. I, I want to get Deander's take a little bit, just because, I mean, you have by far like way more than any of us individually, a, a, a pretty huge following on Twitter. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. What's your take on all this? As some, like a, a sort of the blurry line between when it gets dangerous or when it or mm. uncomfortable versus when it's a positive thing. I really did start getting deep into social media when this movie came out. And since then I've watched it grow and I've been entrenched in everything. And I think that there definitely is like this, Fine line, even more so now. I mean, I can't remember the true crime elements back in the day, but like really now people, there's this fine line between serial killers being covered in the news and then kind of being a celebrity in Mm -hmm. a way. I've never been comfortable with having, I got a, a horror box once and it had the night stalker on one of the the cups. And I just, I wouldn't oh use it because like, I, I just can't like, those are real people who suffered and died oh, like and the their real families killer, the and night, everything. The night stalker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have Richard Ramirez on the cup or on dresses or whatever. And that's never been my thing. And I feel like there is that fine line that people tend to walk now and a lot of people are constantly in the true crime space and and it just can get so dangerous and it makes me wonder how many people out there are probably like okay you know i'm really upset and i want to be remembered for something if i'm going to go out some some way how am i going to be remembered they just commit 
mass crimes or whatever in order to get this attention at the end because they know that the news will cover them. They'll talk about them a lot. They'll probably talk about them more than they'll talk about the victims. I mean, it it is super dangerous territory. And as far as social media goes, I am absolutely not innocent in everything that I've done. A lot of what I do is very calculated. And even though I try to bring my authentic self, in the end, there is a goal. And sometimes I step back and I'm like, how much money am I spending on merchandise simply for maybe one or two Instagram photos? Mm. How much do I really use it? Is that really the best use of my money? That's why I don't really collect autographs anymore because it really wasn't the best use of my money. And now I like my things, but at the end of the day, like they're, they're just things, but it's a lot of it is for creating this persona online. I mean, that's why when Jill says that it's as somebody who, and I really, people don't have the most positive outlook on it, but I would say I fall into the influencer category. I mean, people are constantly sending me stuff or photos or paying me to do stuff. So, and that's like dangerous. I I never support anything that is something that I don't believe in. And I want to help small businesses, but at the end of the day, I'm constantly like, okay, this has this many likes. How can I get more likes? What do I need to do to change? Because in the end, I want to make a living out of this. There is so much truth to what Jill is saying. I can't say I've had messed up stuff happen to me. There are certain times when I've talked about it, um, threats, stalkers, bullies. That is very terrifying, but people will go to great lengths. I mean, sometimes influencers have been known to fake endorse a product just for the money. And that's where it really gets dangerous. Mm, People want the fame, people want the money, but they don't actually believe in it. I believe in everything that I take on, but that's where it becomes really scary territory because people will sacrifice their own morals and their own beliefs and their own authenticity and the truth for, you know, money and recognition and things like that. I have experienced that. I've seen it happen a lot. Well, it's complicated because we also... The podcast itself, we really do pride ourselves in just being absolutely honest and authentic. And I am quite certain it's cost us access to certain franchises whose movies have been coming out over the last couple of years because a lot of us have been honest about our feelings about uh, some of those franchises and maybe they're not so positive. But also, at the end of the day, we still do live in a capitalist society where you have to survive somehow. And sometimes it does come down to what am I willing to sacrifice here? What am I willing to sacrifice to do? Like you said, Deandra, to, to, to get, to, to earn money, to earn income, to be able to do what you love for a living. Like what is the the breaking point of that? And, and I don't know if we'll ever truly come to that conclusion. You know, I think it's a complicated thing. Like you said, social media and, and, and that, and look, I, I wish I could say I'm an influencer. I can't do it. I, I wish I could. I'd love to, but I will say Deandra, there's a difference between being an influencer like you are, and then like an influencer goes to like the fire festival, you know what I mean? Like the, it's, I, I would put you in the, the former category of, of being a positive influencer. Just really influencer, like horror you know? movies, man. I that's mean, the that's thing. like it's my a thing. I thing, just you know? really love them. And I just want to like inspire people and make it creative. That's why like, I'm looking at all these little photo shoots I want to do. Cause I'm like, this would be cool. Like, I just want to do this mostly for myself to just like create it, but then to under- entertain other people. And I'm constantly worried about, you know, people will say, I, I see, because everybody 
barely posts their, you know, losses on Twitter. They don't talk about how miserable they are all the time. Although some people will, sometimes you need that honesty, but at the same time, you know, I just want, I just want to entertain people. And and sometimes I hear people say, you know, I have to unfollow other people because it just is not good for my mental health. And I'm like, God, I hope that's not me. Cause like, I'm trying to be myself. I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to just entertain people. And the last thing I'd want is to, to hurt somebody to believe that I'm, you know, everything's all, all fun and dandy and roses and it's not, but that's not, I don't use social media to be honest all the time because people don't need to know that people have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. It's like Mark Patton talked about in the scream queen documentary. He was talking about how, you know, some celebrities go to conventions and they think that they're basically being a whore. And he's mm. like, if you're going to do it, you know, be a good whore. Cause people, people go to you to escape their reality. They don't want to know all the bills that you need to pay and your struggles and everything like that. And it's kind of the same thing in a way online where you, you know, you're there to inspire, to entertain when you have certain goals and you're not just kind of out there doing it personal, like for personal, I don't know, just posting. And so you do kind of have to hide certain elements like, I know my big thing is horror and I have other interests, but people don't really care about those other interests. They follow me for horror. And so I can't really post those things. So I can't be a hundred percent authentic. It's funny. I notice, you know, we had the big horror month, right? Halloween and, you know, October. And, you know, I, I have, I have a little tidy following and I feel like I pivoted to watching like science fiction stuff this month. Right. Which I don't think that far of a reach from, you know, horror, but you know, you see like a drastic drop off and it's hard to not be like, Oh, like, you know, maybe I should yeah. post more horror stuff just to post it. But then it's kind of like, you know, what, what, what am I doing on here in the first place? So it's, it, it, it's hard. It's, I, I get that struggle. You know, I understand why people do what they do sometimes. And, and I think I agree with you in terms of like, you're trying to entertain people, you're trying to, and you're, that's what you find you like to do that. It's fun. You like creating those things. And I think as long as that continues to be like the drive that a lot of people I think have in doing those things, great. But like you said, it's, it's when they kind of start, when they sell out and they're like, look at this product that I absolutely am against, but I'm getting money for it. So look at this and I got this and yeah. yeah. you know, that can get you know, dangerous and, and, and start dangerous, walking away. Yeah. I think the, the, the common ground that we, that the four of us can find here not to put words into everybody's mouths, but it's to go against Jill's stance of, I don't need friends. I need fans. Like, I think at the end of the day, look, you can have a million followers who you will never know and never interact with and who don't really know who you are and have no friends. You know what I mean? It's possible. I would rather have like five friends and zero followers. Like that's, that's where we all need to kind of be as a society. Cause I think we are losing track of that over time. But, um, yeah, look, folks, try to use social media if you're out there for for good and for honesty and, and, and for all that stuff, if you if you possibly can, because dangerous, it's a dangerous slope you can go down. Don't be like, you know, don't be like Jill from Stream 4 and you'll be just fine, hopefully. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. The other killer in this movie is, as Mac <laughs> yeah, okay. keeps referring to him. Oh, God, I thought you were like on to the next category. No, Lord, no. <laughs> yeah, we forgot about Charlie. <laughs> That's the best way to put it, though. We forgot about Charlie. Max forgot his name. Rory Culkin, aka not Kieran Culkin, Kieran Culkin or Macaulay Culkin, the other brother. Wait, did I say Kieran? Did I say Kieran before? It doesn't I matter. I Kieran. It's bad. They're, 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 hey, I love the Culkin. Bros. Love the Culkins. They're great. The father. Sorry, I think I said Kieran so before. Yeah. Rory Culkin is Charlie Walker, uh, who's kind of he, he even basically admits himself. He's basically just like the new Stu, who was pretending to be one of the new Randys. He's not a lot to say, honestly. He's kind of he's the best friend of Robbie in this. I mean, is there a lot to say about this character? I mean, this is one of those situations where I'm like, thank God it. for the Jill reveal, because if it was just a similar reveal to Charlie, I'm not sure how I would feel about this movie. Yeah, like I like his perf- I mean, as we're getting into sort of I mean, he's not a secondary character, but you know what I mean? The one the the non-franchise characters and the non-Jill um, characters. I I like Rory Culkin a lot as an actor. Love his work in Signs. Love him. Had, wait, was he? No, he wasn't Fuller in Home Alone. That was Kieran and Culkin, Culkin right? Yeah. Getting my, my Culkin lore The Pepsi up. bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> funny because I he's not bad in this movie. I think it's more, I don't know. You, the whole idea, oh, oh, this character's the new Stu or the new Randy or this or that. I'm a little lost on if the movie is a, is aware of it not working. Do you know what I mean? Like on one hand, I'm like, oh no, of course he's not the new Stu or the new Randy because who could be, right? He doesn't have that kind of iconic stature. Like maybe it's maybe it, it, I guess what I'm saying is, is the movie aware that he is a true second banana to Jill, and are they taking the piss out of that a little bit? That's why I wonder because I don't follow his performance, but there's not a lot of me to latch on beyond. Okay, he's a film nerd, but we've seen lots of film nerds in the screen, especially before. by 2011. The film, the film nerd on screen has been captured a million times since yeah. 1996's Scream. Right? I think that the film, especially with that final Sydney line of "Don't fuck with the original," is trying to say that you know you can't try to replicate. You know, I, That's I, I a do good think point. it's aware yeah. of that. But That's a good point. I still feel like the characters don't land. And again, I don't think it's a performance issue. I just think it's a character issue. Mac, what do, what do you think about this character? I know you keep, what do you think about the character of Culkin? Culkin, Culkin, <laughs> uh, it's complicated. I, I was really, you know, I, I think it was at some point in the movie, I kind of realized, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the other killer. Mm. So I was trying to really watch is the way that he was interacting, especially in this sequence when he's talking to Sydney and Gail and at the movie club thing. I, like I said, I like Rory Culkin as an actor. My issue with the movie is that the all the young actors in this, all the, the new crew, as it were, I just don't think, and maybe it was on purpose, but I don't think it really, they really work for me as a, they're just not as strong as the original crew from the first film. And I think they try to give them a lot of screen time, which I appreciate because this could have been a situation where 90% of it is Sydney and Dewey and Gail. And I really was kind of impressed by the restraint of they're not in a ton of the movie. I mean, they are, and they're not, they're not the focus. They really do try to focus on the kids more, but I, I don't know if it's just the, the, the dynamic or the actors or whatever, but um. Yeah, it didn't quite land for me. The new Andrew, what do you think about the character of Charlie? I mean, did you were you did you assume earlier on that he was probably the killer, or did you guess that ah, he might be the killer at certain? I think a 
couple of clues led to the possibility of him being the killer. But I just, in the end, I mean, like we keep forgetting about him. He just gets lost in the background. Mm. And it, it, it's mm. just this weird ending where like Jill and him have not really anything going on, no interaction. And maybe that was on purpose on the creator's part of saying like, we just want to see him, but there's no link between them whatsoever, basically. But at the same time, it's, it, it just, it's just like he shows up and he's like, Hey Jill, I got all this stuff. And Hey Jill, I, you know, I did all this thing for you. And finally the nerdy guy gets the girl, which is what Randy always wanted. And, and in the end, he's just like, Oh, I I'm dead. Like there's nothing, <laughs> There's nothing really going on there. She was just like, oh, yes, please do this. Go over there while I'm over here so I could sell my story. But he just, uh, I did really like the character a lot. Just just as himself, I thought he was, uh, well, honestly, I kind of had a bit of a crush on him. Ah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I did. I couldn't help it. You know, he was big into the movies. And he was kind of cool. You know, he kind of had that like metal head look to mm. him, which is He's why I think actor, he works so well in Lord of Lords of Chaos. Yeah, no, I like him as an actor. But yeah, but uh, but then like the tie at the end, it was just kind of like, huh? What? It, it was just, uh, it, it just, I don't know. It, it fell short for me. It's not satisfying, obviously. It's like the Jill reveal in that matter, you know? I'll say it. Yeah. I do, it's kind of interesting to me that he, he plays many different roles in that finale because he gets tied up. Well, obviously, we know it's, it's deliberate. He's tied up in the chair like Casey, like Casey's Steve, boyfriend yeah. in Scream. Steve. He's yeah. trying to be, throughout the movie, like a, a Randy type. But then at the end, we discover he's actually Stu, and he's even more of Stu than we thought because he's also betrayed by the other killer. That's kind of interesting to me. But, you know, it's just in terms of the other killer reveals it throughout the movies. If you want to compare it, I mean, listen, I think the part three finale is like the worst easily of them all. Other than that, it's not my favorite, uh, my favorite reveal. I mean, and I wonder too if, and, and obviously this wasn't the case, and this is something the movie predicted as well, right? It was. It's sort of like pre-retcon back to basics reboot, or at least when that became the trend with you know with Halloween and everything else. And so I think maybe too, especially because we've talked about so much on the Halloween episodes, and maybe we're all just burned out a little bit by the whole "oh, you're the new this, you're the new that, you're yeah. the new." <laughs> it just gets old after a while. I mean, not even just in horrors, Force Awakens, and, and 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 it's always like these sort of halfway composites that maybe don't quite work. So I wonder if, if that's wearing on us a little bit too. Well, I also think that. You know, this is 2011. So, like, yeah. if had I watched it, see, I watched this last year. So, if I had watched it right when it came out, I think I would have been like a little bit more like forgiving, maybe because I hadn't because we hadn't done all the oh, you're the new Loomis, you're the new uh, Han Solo, you're the new what you know, I mean, all that stuff. I wouldn't have been as like played out at that point. But I think this was kind of the beginning of. I don't know if this works and are they commenting on it or are they purposely trying to not make it work? Uh, I think it gets a little muddy. Yeah. I do think in 2011, this was definitely fresh. I don't know of a lot of movies that were making specific commentary about the fact that they're, you know, they're rebooting or remaking something. You know, I, I do think it was mm-hmm. definitely fresh back then, but you know, again, the character itself, I'm not sure. Now here's, but here's somebody who has survived and thrived throughout all the movies. And that's the great Roger L. Jackson 
as the voice of Ghostface. And you know, I will say, you could say, oh, this is such an easy gig to do, but if you watch all the movies, it does feel like he's being a different character doing that voice. I almost thought, I always, I always wondered if they had, you know, like Emma Roberts, like do the dialogue and then he like emulated her phrasing in the, in the way, you know what I mean? Yeah, to like make the cadence. It, so that yeah, I don't when know you that. put yeah. the pieces together, it sounds like, because I was noticing that in this movie when, when certain people, when, when Ghostface was talking at certain times, I was like, yeah, I can, I, I can hear weirdly, I can hear like. Tolkien <laughs> or I can hear mm-hmm. Roberts, you know, like, and I, and I wonder if they do that. I know they do that sometimes with, when they have like, um, movie films where it's like, they have a younger actor portraying an older actor and they spend time together. And then um, I, I remember, I think it was like Forrest Gump or something. I think Tom Hanks was like spending time with the, the, the kid and the kid was talking or saying certain words in a certain way. And he was mm-hmm. like, I've got to do that when I say these words so that it lined up. And so I was curious if he did that or if he was just like, really great and just kind of just could walk right into it and make it sound like it's those people or whatever. But I mean, I've often said, and Deandre, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but for me, you can do a million Halloween movies and a million Friday 13th movies and have a good Jason or a good Michael Myers. But for me, Elm Street does not work without Robert England. as Freddy Krueger. Just doesn't make any sense to me. And if you took away Roger L. Jackson's voice from the screen movies, that would also feel really strange also i'm not sure how you feel about that deandra so as far as roger goes i mean it would be weird to take him away because obviously it's kind of a filter that's used on anybody Hmm. so it's just the same thing time and time again it's not like it's a new actor so the voice is going to change you know new ghost space so the voice is going to change so it just feels like all of the killers would have access and they kind of tap into that same ghost face element and so in order to do so as a ghost face killer you have to have that voice otherwise it would be inauthentic mm-hmm. and uh so i can't imagine ever having ghost face without his voice because it just it's just so integral to that character and like i said it's not one particular actor who is Ghostface every time yep. like behind the mask it's just like a like a filter for the voice so it, it kind of has to be there but when it comes to Robert England as Freddy Krueger I'm actually team uh doesn't have to be Robert England to be Freddy Krueger well look I think uh, I might be almost not alone on an island but I know other people on the pod have been like oh you could do this and do this and do this but I, I love Jackie Earl Haley as an actor uh, I've loved him since he was a child actor but I just I could not get it out of my head. Like I just where's Robert England? That's 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 just where I am on that. I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen on that because I, I've heard from people who are on set that Jackie really tried to bring in that essence of Freddie that we've all known and loved, and people were like, No, 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 no. Do this, pull oh. back, don't do that. Yeah, do and darker, so, don't don't Yeah, do up, darker, yeah. don't be all this. And so he he really did with that. And so I I, I think there were just too many cooks in the kitchen the the script was all pieced and, and put together but there are i'm a big fan film kind of girl and i think that there are fan films out there or even just trailers for fan films that prove that that people can have the essence of freddie without copying robert as long as they tap into that essence they can make a pretty good freddie there's a one called the confession of fred krueger by an artist and huge fredhead named nathan thomas milliner um, and Kevin Roach plays Freddie, and he doesn't look like Robert, but he's got this 
interesting own take on Freddie that is similar to the essence, but its own thing at the same time. So hmm. those kinds of things sell me on uh, having a new Freddie and, and, and with the right team behind it and not too many people trying to, to piece together a script or tell everybody what to do. I, th- I think that we could have a very successful next entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Well, maybe we'll, maybe before this decade's out, we'll have a new a new new nightmare. You never know. Yes. You never know. Please, uh, yeah. please put me in the background. Anybody listening? Just you can be the Would person. It's like Scream Two when that person won the contest to be the uh, the, the usher. You know that could be you in the next. Yeah. Movie. Love to. Ah, the the first dream, the, two the adults, first one child. Call, you know? Sounds good. Yeah. And then there you go. That's your big role. Hey, I would kill to have that type of role in any of these movies. <laughs> it's like you, you, live, you love, live forever. You live forever. I think the dream for the Halloweenies pod is like we become like the first kill of a movie. Oh, my <laughs> the God. The whole podcast uh, gets <gasps> Dude, killed. Dude, you guys are the podcast talking about something and then you get murdered oh, in the middle because, of like, because oh, my God, that's such a good idea. We're like, we're so, like Halloween. We're like the uh, two in Halloween, but with way less money. <laughs> But because we're so like unforgiving and we are very honest about things that we like and we don't like, you know, and sometimes to to a fault, I think, I think that we would kind of be the perfect podcast for people. People probably are are like, yeah, like those guys love it. They hate this thing. I love, like, I want to see them get killed in the beginning of the movie. Leonard Maltin did not gladly do it. (laughs) Leonard Maltin did not like gremlins and he gets killed in gremlins too. I think it's uh, very funny. Like you're listening out there, David Gordon Green. We love Michael oh my Myers God. I would to, love kill to be killed by Michael Myers. Halloween in the it's, the, it's the podcasters following the podcasters from Halloween 2018. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, I liked Halloween Kills, David Gordon Green. So uh, get, you can give me a main. Oh, role, so maybe so. you're the maybe you're the new Sartain, Dan. You could be the new. Oh, God. You're oh, helping yeah. Michael. Be uh, still my heart. All right, we could talk about Roger L. Jackson and 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 Freddy Krueger and everybody else, but you know what else? Everybody's a suspect. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about them a lot, but the, the main trio is back: David Arquette, Nev Campbell, and Courtney Cox. Let's talk about some of the beats that are slightly different. So in this one, obviously, Dewey and Gale. After the first, you know, two and three, especially, it's like. Well, there, won't they? They've broken up again. They're together again. They've broken up again. Well, they're married. They've been married for 10 years in this movie. And the big thing that, that Gail, Gail Weathers Riley, as she's credited in this movie, is going through is she sacrificed her career. She sacrificed her career to move to Woodsboro, to live with Dewey. And as the years have worn on, she's, I don't think she's even getting the itch to get back into it. I think she's always had that itch to scratch. And she's trying to get back into the not necessarily a tabloid stuff, but the investigative journalism of it all. Uh, Mac, how do you feel the Dewey and Gale relationship works in this particular entry? I like it. I, I like the dynamic of, I think it creates a really interesting angle for her because you know I, I think that character could easily just become like a one note situation, but I like seeing her really grapple with not being fulfilled and trying to, and then unfortunately it has to take more killings in Woodsboro for her to like get back into the swing of like wanting to do what she wants to do. But I also really appreciate that, you know, and everybody, I think everybody really is usually, you know, team Gail and Dewey. 
I like that it's kind of a little complicated. It's not just like everything worked out fine and they're really great together and that there is like the Deputy Judy kind of like stuff mm. going on. I like that. But I just thought it was a really interesting way to bring back these characters and do something new with them that we haven't seen in a way that felt real and kind of grounded in this. And I, I do feel like this film is not... On the reboot remake front, I don't feel like this film is as heightened and zany as part three is. And even though that was kind of the point of that film, I like that it's kind of is kind of feels, it feels way more grounded and kind of realistic, except for maybe when Anthony Edwards gets stabbed in the head, but, uh, well, Anthony wait, Edwards. Edwards. Oh, yeah, I'm now. sorry. Now, I think now, now I'm, I'm, I'm just totally going on Anthony, Anthony Perkins character. There you go. There you go. Uh, Deandra, what do you think about after the, after the decades of spending time with, with Dewey and Gail, how do you feel the relationship is portrayed in this movie? Yeah, I think it was pretty much covered. I think there's just some resentment given that Gail seems to have kind of put her stuff on the back burner Mm -hmm. a little bit, but I like that there is a pretty good relationship with them. I think that they do a nice job in in what I feel is a somewhat short amount of time that's given to to Dewey and and Gail because they're not necessarily the central focus of this and kind of showing some of those struggles and maybe uh, the spark, which kind of could possibly also just happen to fall around these killings. That's like when they are the most themselves and maybe when they are the most in love, I guess it's kind of like their, their strongest link between each other and and being their true selves is whenever Ghostface is on the prowl. Yeah, Dan, I think yeah. in the first three entries, obviously do is presented as kind of this goofy, lovable guy. But I do feel like he's grown to the point where he's you, you do actually buy him as being the sheriff of the small town in this movie, right? It doesn't feel like a big joke anymore, right? No, no, not at all. I actually think of all the I mean, of all the returning characters, of the three returning characters, I I actually or I guess I should say this, of the Scream legacy storylines, I I like their arc the best. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, and I think it's because we're we always throw this around this language of, oh, we want to honor the original, but still move forward. And I actually think both of their characters do that because we've seen bumbling Dewey. So I like that he's still Dewey. I like that he still has that kind of dopiness about him, but he's competent. Mm-hmm. And with Gail, I, I love that we still see her be aggressive and go after things. But I like that no one really takes her seriously. Like they, the kids, I feel like I'll, I'll kind of scoff at her because that's something we haven't seen from that character before. We And, and also just... Yeah creates more conflict, which is always interesting. Like watching her try to be this investigative reporter and get made fun of along the way. I mean, it's just, it's just a nice, we've seen her get comeuppance before, but it's, it's just like, it feels like something that's fresh. That's also very much in line with everything that's come before. It's I, I really love their storyline quite a bit. Yeah. Even the Rebecca, Rebecca, the Alison Brie character even asks Gail if she's going to revitalize her tarnished brand. Like this is something she's been dealing it. with great. for a decade. <laughs> Something else I really like about the dynamic, especially between Gail and Judy, is they easily could have done the the route of Gail being really jealous of Judy and having Mm -hmm. that be a thing. I don't think she's jealous of her. I think she's she's annoyed by her, and that works a million times better than it would be. And the fact that she saves her, that Judy saved, like I love that. I I like it's like the. I look, I, I, I watched this movie in full for the first time. I thought it was great. It's like the, my best friend's wedding thing. I think my best friend's wedding is so much better <laughs> having Cameron Diaz be actually a good person yeah. in that spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> Julia Roberts does not get the guy. I think it's such a more interesting movie than if, than if Cameron Diaz was the bad guy and, and was, you know, devious and whatever. And I feel that way about that whole love. I mean, it's not even a love triangle, really. Like you said, just, it's kind of this like slightly flirtatious, annoying coworker. I I think, I think it's great. 
Yeah. One thing I really love about Gail in this too, is that she definitely knows that she, she's still got it. And I Mm -hmm. think over the last 10 years, she didn't, she kind of maybe felt that she lost herself a little bit, but now that she's Mm -hmm. back in it, she's like, I still got it. And people are trying to push her to the side and they're like, she wants in on this. And then she's like, are you familiar with the phrase? I wrote the book on this. Like she Mm. is trying so hard. She's like, man, I know what I'm doing. Everyone's trying to push me out, trying to push me aside. Like I don't have a role and there's all this new technology and I'm going to get in there. I'm going to figure this out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring the Gail Weathers back that, that I know that I am and I, and my place in, in kind of this, this world and everything that I've done, you know, I, I am Gail and I'm proud. I like how she's got her outfits that have been like lying in wait, like like the Bat Cave. Like here we're back. I got I, I, I got to finally wear these yeah. again, you know. Uh, so it really worked for me on on, on rewatch, especially. It, it it definitely worked for me. I will say, I feel like we've been saying this since the first Scream sequel came out, but I am nearly a hundred percent sure that Dewey is going to be killed in Scream Five. I'm up, I'm at this point now. I really? hope not, man. I mean, it would be cool, but I'm, I, I just love it. I mean, I do. I, I, I kill don't want one to happen, them, right? Well, you know, here's a thing. You gotta kill thing. one of them you gotta at, this, kill at some one point. You gotta have yeah. something happen, right? I don't know. Well, it, it, it's the whole, and I, we talked about this on the trailer watch, the whole thing where it's like, is this gonna be the launch of more Scream movies? And if so, you really have to develop and focus on this younger cast. So I think the reason we're seeing so much of the old cast in this first like trailer, I really wonder if they're going to be the first. I, I, I don't want them to kill Sydney. <laughs> or they all just get killed in the I first kind scene. Of think, oh I'm God. like, Crazy. what if they kill off them one by one? I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I don't understand how Scream, the series continues if Sydney lives in this movie, but I don't want to see Sydney die. <laughs> so it's like really difficult complicated line to walk. I don't know how they're going to do it, but yeah, I, 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 I get, I think we talked about it just on the episode. I, it does kind of feel like maybe Gail and Sydney are kind of the, the team up again via the first film. And maybe it's because maybe they get pulled back into it because Dewey gets got. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective that I didn't even think about is because they are in it like a lot, but this is technically supposed to be about the kids. And it seems like it's going to be not necessarily a sequel, not necessarily a reboot, but some kind of own continuation based on everything that at least I've read. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what does that mean? That's what I've like, been thinking too. Yeah. All of the other movies have had everybody basically in it. So what are you talking about? So that idea that they're shown a lot in the trailers to kind of get that hook of like, yeah, it's scream again. Um, but it's not actually, because now it's not, you know, it's not what okay, five cream, five cream. it's yeah. scream again, <laughs> yeah. it's scream again. Right. And you're just like, Oh, okay. Where's this going? It's just all up in the air. And I feel like I hope that we're shocked in the end. And I do think that someone needs to go because they've just been surviving for too long. And yeah, they've, they've done a great job. They've navigated it, but I feel like we need to elevate the threat a little bit more yeah. and what better way to do that than to kill off one of those characters that's been around for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's not an annoyance issue. It. It's just a, it's a narrative issue, right? It's just like something has to happen. Yeah. There has to be some other charge. Yeah. Like, and we were saying, I was like, look, I'm not, I don't want to see anybody kill, be killed in a Randy way. I want to see them like, it can be like Sydney dies saving the lead 
sure. or something like that. You know what I mean? It could be like a hero's death. Like give me, it has to be something that people would be on board with if they actually did something like that, where Gail or Sydney die. I, I don't feel as that same way about Dewey. I think, you know, when you go to the links that they did in part two, teasing Dewey's death and then he survives, <laughs> I feel like he's outlived his, yeah, he's got, he's been really lucky to survive all these movies now. I think that's why I kind of see him being possibly off in the next one. Scream 3 also. You think he's dead in Scream 3? But I like I do like him in this movie. I think it's not... And what I like about this film, and I like about the old cast in this film, they're not like mugging for the camera. It doesn't feel like they're... they're they feel like they're doing their role, and that's it, you know? And it feels like they're get, trying to give the new cast room to breathe. I... I think that I'm not sure if that actually happens, but I do kind of appreciate that they're kind of understated in this. It's not like they're trying to, well, first of all, Nev Campbell doesn't have to. She's just, she's just great as, as Sydney. Like she commands the the screen when she's on it. You're, you just want to see like what's going to happen. But Well, let's talk about Sydney in this movie in relation to the, I think she's got a lot more to do in this one compared to part three, I think we talked about part three because of scheduling issues. She's hardly in the first half of that movie at all. Scream three. Yeah. That movie's got its own production issue, pre-production issues too. Mm. Uh, and this movie, she's, she's back in Woodsboro to promote her book out of darkness. She does feel like much more of a presence, especially when you, when you line her up with Jill, who is supposed to be kind of the new Sydney as we, as we are led to believe in this movie. Um, I've always liked Nev Campbell as an actor getting back to the days of Party of Five, when I was a little boy. No, I guess I was probably about her age when you really think about it at the end of the day. But, Deandra, how do you feel she comes across in this movie? Do you think that she gets lost in the shuffle like she kind of does in the third one? Or do you feel like she's uh, prominently displayed and like earns uh, upper, upper billing? Sometimes I do feel like she is lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. But maybe that is just the matter of trying to not make it about her and trying to set up the idea that Jill is the new Sydney and what they had intended for a new set of films. Mm-hmm. But I feel that she's quite grown up and strong and very protective, I think, because the cast is so much younger. She has a very motherly element about her in this movie. She's still Sydney Prescott. She is still, you know, the target of Ghostface, everything around her. But um, she's not as prominent. She's she's just kind of falls in the back because in the end, even though Jill is the killer and, and not necessarily the final girl, it's just kind of like everything is set up more so around Jill mm-hmm. than it is around Sydney. Even though Sydney is quote unquote the angel of death, it's more supposed to be Jill's story constructed by Jill. Yeah, that's what makes a subversion work so well. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I do think she gets... I, I don't want to call it lost in the shuffle. I think she's intentionally... It, it's almost like the movie tricks you in that she's not the protagonist, and then by the end, it reminds you that she's the protagonist again. And I think that works re- really, really well. And I think it also contributes to the surprise that we talked about earlier of, of Jill being the killer. I feel like that wouldn't work... Almost w- weirdly wouldn't work if we were more focused on on Sydney. I don't always love one-liners and I don't always love one-liners even in screen movies, but I do think the way we end, you know, Sydney's arc is, is completely in line with the series and just as a testament to Nev Campbell's power and like what, what she, what Sydney has come to mean as the final girl. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm huge team Nev for this movie. Well, it becomes so complicated too, because we keep saying, well, somebody has to die for a narrative to be propelled right at this point. 
But D'Angelo, like you said, like Sydney, not just for you, but in so many people I know, she is in that holy trinity of final girls, right? If you're going to kill her, you don't want to make it feel like it's a failure, not just for her, but as like a storytelling motif, right? So it, that becomes kind of complicated. Like, would this movie have worked if I, like the, the aforementioned ending where you don't know if she lives or dies, does that work? Or do you have, or does she always have to live? Like, that, that becomes such a complicated issue, you know? All right, so the next character is a bit of a fan favorite for a lot of people out there. Kirby Reed by Hayden Panettiere. She was coming off of Heroes, uh, which was a, I, for those who don't know, like, Heroes was such a huge sensation for about 10 months. And then I think I think the writer strike happened or something that really screwed up its yeah. second season or something. It just never, never really recovered. But she was a big deal at the time. She's kind of this. How would you describe this character? Because some people have described her as, a, as like a, an updated version of Randy. But I always felt like the Charlie and Robbie characters were the Randy characters. And even Kirby says that they're the Randys of the movie. But I think she's kind of like a new Tatum she's a or new something? entry. I don't think uh, that. No, no, I don't think that she's a replica of anybody. I mean, maybe you could say that, but I don't think so because she actually knows a lot more about horror. They don't really, like trivia-wise, generally seems to know a lot, right, when they start running down that stuff later. Well, she knows Gunnar Hansen was the original Yeah, and so it's like, but she's not like part of the movie club. So I think that there's a there are fans out there, I think, that are really into this stuff and know a lot of like the you know, go down the wiki rabbit hole and stuff like that, but they're not like going to the conventions and stuff. So I think that it's kind of like an interesting new, that, that's, she seems to be the only new kind of addition. She does not come off like Tatum to me or, or, or I mean, in terms of like the best friend character to the, to the quote unquote Sydney of the movie. Right. Yeah. The best friend, but it, it doesn't seem like everybody else kind of does feel like almost a little bit of replicas. Like even the, the, like with, you know, what's his name? Uh, Trevor, Charlie, but Trevor. Okay, Trevor. Yeah. So. Well, okay. Here's a question I do have upon this rewatch, and this is something that you don't really deal with in the first three movies specifically. Maybe the third. No, I don't think you have it. It's very strange to me that, and this is a plot thing. That I think they just ran to this problem they had to barrel on through. Let me ask all of you this question: If you witnessed your best friend being murdered. Across the across the house from you, would you just be going to parties the next day? Like that really did not work for me in this movie. It was very hard for me to wrap my head around that. And they're kind of still making well, jokes about it. And she's going to a party. She's like, Olivia would have wanted us to go to this event where this movie screening that inspired the killer who killed her. Like that just felt like such a major plot point. I yeah. could not. I could not wrap my head around. I couldn't. I couldn't reason away. Compared to how the first three movies work, you know, it's it, it feels different in the first film because they all kind of just knew Casey, but exactly. they didn't really. They weren't like super close with her, and I've been in situations like that where you're like, oh yeah, you know, you just keep moving on with life, and it's weird, but people are talking about it. But when they, yeah, you're right, they witness the murder happening across <laughs> the street, and then they seemingly are pretty okay. But Jill, maybe that makes sense because. She, She's a killer, but Kirby, I don't know. She seems, it seems strange that decision. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think about that. Justin, Dan, if you were, let's say we were hanging out at some party and we're, and we're like, Hey, hang on. And we look out the window and we look across and we see fellow Halloweeny Mike Rothman 
<laughs> being absolutely stabbed to death in front of us by somebody wearing a, a Michael Myers. Well, this is disturb you enough. By somebody wearing <laughs> yeah. the shape, the Michael Myers mask, right? And we know, oh my God, Mike's dead. And then the next day, it's like, hey, they're they're showing the first five Halloween movies at AMC <laughs> River East. <laughs> And you're like, hey, let's uh, – no, no, Mike would want us to go to this. I'm like, I just don't – that is such a major – and this is a, this is a franchise that has Jay and Silent Bob showing up. And, and look, we've been very positive about the movie so far. Right, listen, spoiler alert, I still overall like this movie, but that is such a strange decision. And I feel like it could have been easily avoided, honestly. Deandra, am I, am I being too hard on this or do you have a different perspective on this, on this action by Kirby and some of, on some of her friends? I think I'm kind of middle ground on it. Yeah. I don't think I'm too much either one way or the other. I just feel like all you would have to do, honestly, is just have Kirby continue to hang out with Jill in the aftermath the next day. You don't really even have to have her go to the Stabathon. Like, why is she, you don't have to have that scene of her going to the Stabathon. It's very, I don't know know. why they did that. But now that you're bringing it up, I'm like, no, that's a good point. But it didn't, I don't know, it didn't clock for me when watching the movie or rewatching the movie that it, it was weird and maybe that's just because people do weird stuff in the scream series all the time <laughs> like everyone's always kind of getting killed. like i really it didn't bother me while i was watching it. i mean i but i it does make sense to me now if i rewatch it maybe it'll be like that it's, fun, it's funny this rewatch i think honestly at the end of the day they were doing that because they wanted to make sure that we were still thinking she could maybe be a killer yeah, if she had been a killer, I'd be like, oh, you know, that makes total sense. That she, but I think that they, I think they were like, well, if she's not there, but also if she's not there, then she definitely could have still been the killer because you know what I mean. She wasn't at present at the party, so I don't know what they were thinking. But it was just a weird tonal shift that uh, bothered me. Hey, I think I think she's quite good in this movie. I like the panic of her at the very end, though, answering all those questions. Any other thoughts on, on, on Hayden as Kirby? Uh, Deandra, are you a, a big fan of her in this movie, though, the character overall? I love her in this movie. I think she's sassy. She's got a lot of attitude. I think she represents like the general horror fan, at least a lot of people that I'm familiar with. I resonate more with her than I do with Randy. Could be because she's a girl, but uh, mm-hmm. I definitely resonate a lot with Kirby, and I know a lot of people really want Kirby to return. I definitely would love to see Kirby. Kirby return. I know that it was in Hayden's contract that she could not die. Mm. So it was a little bit, yeah, it was a little bit ambiguous at the end, but as far mm. as we know in that contract, she couldn't really actually die. So could she um, be alive? She could well, I will say this in earlier script. Also, you hear somebody saying when it was supposed to end with Jill being wheeled out, you're supposed to hear somebody saying she's still alive and you weren't supposed to necessarily know if it was Sydney or Kirby. That makes total sense, Andrew. That the contract. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And she gets stabbed pretty bad, and so is Dewey, I guess. Oh I mean, yeah, after, <laughs> after Dewey survives so Scream Two, too. it's like you know, Sydney in this yeah, movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of stabbings going so, on. I, I, well, we were just talking during our little break that, like, with Deputy Judy coming back for this next movie, I think it'd be really cool to see. Kirby and so, you know just anybody that maybe survived like to come back I, because they've always done that they've always had the people come back even if it was for like a little bit just like a bit or the opening or something so I think that would be really cool if they're just not showing us that and she shows up I think continuity wise I would I always love that yeah I always appreciate when when characters or storylines are brought back from maybe lesser appreciated entries just to maintain the continuity like I always love when mm-hmm. William Hurt shows up 
in the Marvel movies as Ross, as, as General Ross <laughs> yeah, from the Incredible Hulk Ross, yeah. that nobody talks about anymore. It's like, hey, I appreciate the continuity, you know? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, well, let's move on to this next duo. Not a lot to say. And these are played by two established actors, uh, Anthony Anderson as the aforementioned Anthony Perkins, not to be confused with Anthony Perkins, the actor, mm. and Adam Brody as Ross Haas. They, they do have slightly more to do in some of the deleted scenes that I talked about. But not a lot to do here. Uh, and that's kind of a problem with some of the other supporting characters that are introduced in this movie. Yeah, Deandra, what, what did you think about the Anthony, the Anthony Perkins death scene with the, the knife to the head in the aftermath of that? I thought it was a nice comedic relief. I really love how he like Adam Brody moves out of the way and then he gets stabbed in the head and it's just, it's just all this blood gushing out. I just felt like it was pretty classic scream because it wasn't too serious. Of course, you got to have the two kind of dumb cops go. And they were just there long enough where they had a little bit of comedy that didn't take away too much from the tone of the movie. I did really like that knife to the head, though. That was like one of the kills that always stood out to me from the very first time I watched it because I was like, ow. And he just gets out and it's just going down just everywhere and Ghostface is watching him from the back. So I always really liked that little dynamic between them and they didn't overstay their welcome in the film. Yeah. Dan, I think you had, I think you might've had an issue with this, but that was actually decided, I think on the set to, to not just have him get stabbed in the head and die, but to have him live a little bit after that, because they had done research and said that people, you can get stabbed in the head and still like walk around for a while and like, and totally survive for a moment or two, sometimes just live. And so that's why they add that part of him kind of stumbling around. I like looked after that sequence again. I I actually looked that up. I was like, is that even, is that really possible? Yeah, but it is. <laughs> like, you can suffer a, a sudden brain trauma pending where you're stabbed or where you're you are injured, and you can still kind of like wander around. It's just that's that's even more frightening. I know people who have had brain literal, literal surgery on their brain, and then an hour afterwards, been talking to people. Like yeah. the brain is a fascinating thing. What can I say? But Dan, what do you think about the the exits of uh, Ross Haas? Great name, by the way, for Adam Brody. Great name, and Anthony Perkins. I like the death scene a lot. The action, I mean, that is pretty freaky to me. And I actually don't even, you know, I'm I'm fine with the amount of time there in this movie. I and I do like how the movie has a lot of fun with like the "I'll be right back" and hmm. you know the, the kind of subverting that uh, that a little bit. My only issue with it is, and I know I know Scream obviously comedy has been a big a big part of the scream uh, franchise from the, the very beginning. My only issue is that that final joke, I'm talking about like the last line, like literally the last fuck line Bruce he Willis. says, yeah, the fuck Bruce Willis. It, I feel like scream does such a nice job of towing the line between horror and comedy. And that to me just pushes it a little too. That seems like something they would say in like scary movie, right. Which is a parody of, of scream. And so I, it, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just one line. It doesn't ruin the movie by any chance, but that, that sours me on those characters just a tad. I feel like it's just a little bit too broad for the, the scream sense yeah, of humor. Dan, this movie wasn't for you. It's for the younger generation. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see if it's in there. I'm just, I'm far more forgiving of one-liners in the scream movies. Jane than Jane's Bob. Or, well, obviously that. Well, then I am, <laughs> yeah. if this had happened in like Halloween or something like that. Then I'd be a little more. What the fuck are you doing here? But in scream, it's just I'm a little more. Okay, we, I get yeah. it. It's 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 a I, good bit. It's a good bit. Yeah, yeah. No, and like I said, it doesn't. It, it by no means ruins anything. I just went like, Ooh, you know, when I when I heard it. Here, here's a question for you both. I mean, uh, 
I am all for the Bon Me cops and twenty in Halloween. Do you get, like these guys better or worse than? Uh, well, this is what I'm saying. Bon yeah. If the Bon Me cops yeah. were in the Scream movies, I'd be yeah. much more forgiving than if them showing up in the, the trauma <laughs> induced filled like Halloween did. Halloween entries. Anthony Anderson, fun fact, was in Scary Movie movies, the spoofs. Oh yeah, duh, yeah, he was. He's in Scary Movie Three. I think that's and why. But but that came out. Did did that come out before this? Yeah. Scary Movie 3, and I think he's also in Scary Movie 4 as well. I kind of, that's why I also kind of like that didn't phase me because I kind of thought that was like a, a nod to that. Oh. How about that? That makes but sense. It didn't, that, that didn't bother me, yeah. I think screen, I think I have not seen Scary Movie 3 and 4, but I think that those kind of escape the ghost face spoofs, much like Scary Movie 2 does. Yeah, yeah they start spoofing Saw. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 they kind of just, I feel like even the second one start parodying movies in general, like Titan, Titanic and... Exactly. exactly. It's pretty funny. Well, we talked about Mary McDonald as Jill's mother, Kate. Uh, she gets stabbed through the mail slot. You know, again, that you could tell that that role was just absolutely chopped down. It did, mm-hmm. And that's an issue. And that's why Lauren Graham left the movie. No need to really discuss that too much unless anybody has anything else to say about that character. But there's really mm-hmm. not much to say, right? I mean, okay, good. But here's somebody we can so talk say we about. All. So say we all. God bless that character as well. Judy Hicks, another fan favorite, who is returning as Sheriff Judy Hicks, or Five Cream, by the way, played by Marley Shelton. Marley Shelton had dipped her toes in the in the slasher films from the 2000s. She is the the final girl in Valentine. Anybody seen Valentine? Is that good. Yeah. I have not. You liked it, didn't you? I've never seen it. I've only seen it once. I barely remember anything about it. It's that's yeah, another yeah. movie that's kind of getting like a reappraisal. You know, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. Every 10, 20 years, somebody goes, actually, X is good, you know, or actually, X is the best. Uh, I think it's, I don't think it's that the bad. <laughs> but I will say the ending has always stuck with me. I do think it's got a great final shot that reveals the killer. The and a good final shot. I will give it that. I know the much. reveal, but I don't. Yeah, I didn't even remember her in the movie, yeah. but I re- I remember her in this movie because I like this character. Well, that's the really... thing. Marley Shelton was not known for big comedic chops at this point either. She was kind of known as like just like a, a very attractive lead in these teen kind of movies throughout the decade. Right. But uh, Deandra Judy Hicks, she work or she she worked for you in this movie. She's an interesting character. I feel like sometimes she's a little unnecessary she kind of steps into the dewey role sometimes Mm. that dewey would have probably normally taken on Mm. obviously she's a bit of an annoyance to gail but i just think she's another like quirky addition to the cast but sometimes unnecessary could have done without her but i think that she i'm not not a huge fan but um i don't hate her you actually sound like gail right now (laughs) <laughs> well, she does it is funny because i i do like her but she i almost forget she's in the movie about halfway through she does disappear yeah. until coming back and she has a very pivotal role at the end but it is they almost set it up like it is it's once again it's like we were saying before you it's almost like gail suspects that she's going to cause more trouble than she does or be a bigger deal than she is and she does have an important role at the end but i, I do kind of forget about her until the hospital yeah, Mac, they do position her throughout. If you, it's hard after rewatching it to think of it this way, but they do kind of position her as a possible suspect, right? Absolutely. I mean, like five times during the movie, they kind of pose that she shows up in ways that Billy would show up mm-hmm. in, in the first movie. 
where it's just focused on enough where it's like, Oh, you know, yeah. Is everything okay? Like I just saw this thing, you know, and you're like, are you the killer? So it's definitely like a mislead, but I'm, I, again, I, I'm, I'm happy that she's coming back because I feel like there's, I like when there's a little bit more connectivity than just like the main cast. So it it just makes it feel that much more cohesive. And I really love that they've been paying attention. But well, I think, you know, the updated drafts and the, and the additional ending also only served her character in a positive way. I mean, her getting yeah. being able to save Gail, have the funny line before she faints, you know, the, the bit. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have had any of that, obviously, if you just cut from the house. So it does add another element to that character's longevity. I will say, though, as far as her character goes when when they introduce new characters into the different scream films sometimes i'm like yeah okay i guess so and even though she could sometimes either fall into the background or be a little bit of a nuisance i do feel like she kind of fit the movie pretty well like i don't mind her getting into the next movie because i feel like there's just something about the execution of the character that does kind of fit in with the tone of scream and it's probably because she is very similar in a way to Dewey. So it kind of works in that way. Yeah. And again, if you're going to tone down even a little bit, the the kind of goofiness of Dewey, then you have to have somebody there to kind of fill that role. And she does do a good job of that. I mean, I think she does do a pretty good job. She was surprising to me in this movie. Like I said, I didn't really know her for a lot of her comedic job. And listen, don't, don't come at me. I'm sure she was in some comedies before this that maybe I missed. Okay. You know, but I'm just saying personally, I was Pleasantly surprised by some of the bits. That's all I'm saying. Who's in um, that movie Marley and Me, I think, right? About the dog? No, hilarious. <laughs> I remember her in uh, Sugar and, and Spice. There you go. The Isn't that the cheerleaders? They're like yeah. they're yeah. bank robbers or something. I was just huh? about to look her up because I was like, wasn't she in a cheerleader movie about, yeah, I, yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Everybody's like, Justin, you fucking plebe. She, was in, she, she has been in comedies. Well, there you go. Marley Sheldon, she's doing very well. Oh, she was also Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. Also, The Lifeguard in your favorite movie, Justin. Tell me. Sandlot. All right. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, how can we forget the comedy classic Bubble Boy with Jake Gyllenhaal? He's in that, too. So there you go. Some more comedies for you. Anyway, comedy legend Marley Shelton does a great job in, in, in Scray 4M. Okay, let's run through these next few here. Not a lot to talk. Alison Brie, who has become like a star, she's been, she was, after she was in Mad Men, she was obviously in Community. She was in Netflix's Glow for a few seasons. Bit role here as like the PR rep of, of Sydney Prescott. Uh, we talked about her death earlier in the deleted scene section. Can we move on? She's always a good, she's good comic timing. Yeah. Okay. Here's an issue. Here's somebody who I always forget exists in this movie. That's Mar- Mariel Jaffe as Olivia Morris, who is the best friend, allegedly the best friend of Kirby and Jelly. They don't really care about her, apparently, because uh, they, the, the, they go to hang out the Stabathon the next day. But she plays Olivia. You know, not not a lot to do here uh, for this it's particular actor. It's a good death actor, scene. Right? I, I, oh, I great death think. scene. Yeah, yeah, we'll scene. talk about that later, too. I know, yeah. I, hey, wait, I'm, I'm thinking about this this stabathon thing for a second <laughs> and i'm thinking back going in high school okay i had i had i had a little bit of a, a rough stretch uh the beginning of my senior year my my dad had to had to go into a uh, mental station for some stuff and yeah i think things yeah things were like not at their most fun and i got home one night and my you know my mom was like there's this party in a field i wanted to go to like a keg party 
And my mom was like, you know what? Go ahead. Cause she was like, she knew it had been kind of a crappy week. And, and she was like, you should go have some fun. And like, even though there were, I mean, granted, much different than seeing your best friend get killed across the street and yeah. then going to a movie based on the, the killer. But that's like the thing. It's the more yeah, the base, but it's, I, it's I don't know. something the, the directly whole, tied to I do well, think when you're in high school though, like I I don't know, you're still sorting through your feelings and I'm not saying the movie's working on this deep of a level, but I don't know. I guess I'm saying is I I've, I've been mulling this over in my head and I'm like, I don't know, maybe I would go and do that. I could kind of see 16, well, 17 year old. Dan, Dan I can never, yeah. I can never, you know, imagine put myself in your shoes, what you're going through during that time. So let me just, I'll, I'll set up the scenario. <laughs> Let's say you and your mom were, you know, having a discussion in the living room and then you looked across the way and your, and your dad was being stabbed to death by somebody wearing a Michael Myers mask. <laughs> All right. So you witness your father being stabbed to death. And then the next day, you're like, I'm going to go see a Halloween marathon at the movie theater. I just don't know. I don't know. And if it knows? was a Michael Myers mask, I would, I, would, I would have to go to a mental institution. <laughs> well, there you much. go. Gosh, there man. you go. DeAndre, anything to add about uh, Miss Jaffe's performance? No, not really. Yeah, she kind of fell into the background for me as well. But her death is awesome. Oh, It's the only thing great. I pretty much remember. <laughs> I, yeah, it's great. But Mac, this is something you pointed to off mic is – you know, honestly, a lot of the ensemble, maybe it's, I don't think it's necessary to do the comparison. I just think that they're not given as much to do as, as that original cast or even earlier casts are given, right? Yeah. They're just not, they don't, they don't have enough chew on essentially. Yeah. And oh, and this brings me back to, to the, the cops thinking they saw Ghostface down the street thing. Emma Roberts is in the room with mm-hmm. Kirby. Mm-hmm. He's already hiding in the closet. So who did they see down the street? Did they, did they literally just not see? I think it's possibly snuck in at some point during that section. There's a, there's a long time bef- between seeing the cops in the car and then. But not between the aftermath. Like, them seeing the cops outside, her standing outside about to go in the house. And then like, that's quick. I don't know. That's just, that doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, let's get through the rest of this cast. This is going to yeah, be that's forever. That's all <laughs> Our next character played by Nico Tortorella. He, this character, this person plays the new Billy, as it's mentioned several times in this movie. Uh, Trevor Sheldon. There's so many allusions to Billy, right? You got Trevor sneaks into Jill's bedroom in the, near the beginning of the movie, much like Billy. This is also kind of really, really amped down in the deleted scenes that Trevor is the new Billy. And how are they going to subvert this? Obviously, they subverted it by making Jill the killer. Uh, mm-hmm. What do we think about Nico Tortorella as, as Trevor in this, in this film, Dan Caffrey? I I like that they just leaned into him being a total doofus. I, I mean, and they're they're never really the new Billy, right? Because mm-hmm. Billy has this kind of swagger and this danger about him, and he's got charisma. Whereas I I, I think the movie is aware that it's doing this. They they just they just make Trevor like a total dud of a guy, which I think we're also sorry for this noise in the background. I'm not joking. There's like hail hitting my window right oh, now no, from thunderstorms. You're getting so, our storm you, from the other day, yeah. Yeah, so if y'all are apologies to listeners, hopefully it's it's just soft uh, enough to be soothing. Thing, yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully it's not hope. a good fr- hopefully it's not a good friend of yours being murdered. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> I, well, I know that I can go go to the stabathon. Hope you make it through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but but I, yeah, so I I I don't know, I enjoy I I know before we were saying, "Oh, is the movie aware that they're you know, playing red herring here or that we're actually not replicating these characters. And I do think in the case of Trevor, it's very much the case. I do feel like 
I love that they're not the killer because they're so not the new Billy, like at mm-hmm. all. Like, like, well, and, I, and I think the movie knows about that, so I, if, I enjoy it. It feels like Trevor is more mirroring like the Luke Wilson version of Billy in the movie. <laughs> oh, you know what, I mean? like, <laughs> what does he say? When he it's says to her, like, when he's in the room really. and he when he's in the yeah. room with her and she's like, "How did how did you get up here?" There's cops outside, and he's like match for the ninja baby like, just well, like what, so over top. <laughs> what, did, what does Luke Wilson say I think it's screwed too he's, he's like that's the way the cookie crumbles Sid oh yeah <laughs> then something. she walks that's away and he just says stupid <laughs> so smack himself in the head <laughs> Deandra um, obviously this character cheats on Jill and that's that's alluded to a couple times in the film Tough way oh for, God, why for him to go out. Why are you asking me this question? Yeah, well, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> why are you going there? Was that, so let's that, just say you had a gun. No, no, no. Hold everything. Hold everything. It's a tough out for for Bill. Uh, for Billy. Look, I'm saying it. For for Trevor, though, I mean, I'm not the girl you cheat on. Jill proceeds to shoot him in the crotch, and it is shown. It's br- That's brutal, oh, that's, yeah. that scene. I yeah, and then the, in the head right now. And then I, shot I was, in the like, head, oh, yeah. They'll have him live because they shoot him in the crash. But, oh, that was, yeah, that was, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just trying to point out the fact that it's pretty disturbing. Has anybody here ever been, a, no, I'm not I'm going to pretend to make any shots. Shot in the crotch. Who's ever shot, shot, shot me in the dick? In the I can say that. There we go. Okay. We finally <laughs> figured it out. We've, we've narrowed it down. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, it's it's a fine performance. It's, you know, I think Jerry O'Connell is more memorable in that type of a role. I think, obviously... You know, the first it's 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 tough as these movies go on. And I know that in, especially in this one, they are deliberately trying to lay the tracks down for this being not only a remake or reboot, I should say, for us. Even the characters are kind of aware of it. But I do think that that only lays down the the tracks for constant comparison to those earlier characters. And I think that's how the movie can pay on comparison. Anybody ever? actually believe that he was the killer because no i watched it and was like they're so trying to force this on us there's no way that he's actually the killer he just doesn't seem competent enough they're trying to put it out there and in the end it really makes sense because jill's like okay he's my boyfriend i really want to take revenge on him and i'm just gonna do everything i can to try to make it look like this in the most obvious way so that maybe the cops would suspect that it's him and everybody else could kind of follow along in those footsteps but at the same time it was like there's just no way he just keeps showing up and everyone's like why are you, who invited you trevor like what are you doing here it's not even <laughs> like a oh he might be you know it's more like why are you around anymore just stop <laughs> it's just not even it just doesn't come across that way to me watching it i was like he's definitely not the killer would have been supremely disappointing if he was one of the killers definitely like that would have really been a, a ding like a nightmare in, in the reality of that world, you know, already, you know, just as a boyfriend and as a human being. So I feel like, you know, that was, it, I was kind of, I, you know, I don't want to see anybody actually murdered, obviously, but when she shot him in, in the, in the dick, I was like, okay, you know, this guy's kind of a loser. <laughs> like, yeah, again, they give a good performance, but the, the character dick. is, yeah, you know, he's been like stalking her and being really aggressive and it's like, fuck off, you know, <laughs> like, I know tough out. Oof. Tough out. Yeah. The, the, the shot alone. The pow to the pee pee. That mm. that's enough. I do that. Oh yeah. If I was yeah. crazy enough or not, I'd do it. You heard it out there. <laughs> the threat has been made, folks. Do not cross the Andrew. Don't cheat on me. I'm gonna pow your pee pee. That'll be the quote the of the episode. We gotta put that in there. Put it out. There. That's the pull quote. Pow the pee pee. <laughs> uh, next character. 
I can't wait to talk about this this actor. Eric Knudsen as Robbie Mercer, who does the web series Hall Pass, not to be confused with the Fairly Brothers movie Hall Pass. This is very confusing for me, and maybe for the rest of you as big horror fans. Because at the beginning of this movie, the film Saw 4 is referenced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also the Saw series is referenced. And even when they're watching, I think they're watching Stab 6 near the end of the movie again, right? Aren't they watching it as a group? And the Sinead Grimes character is talking about the Saw movies. Folks, for you Saw heads out there, Guess who plays Detective Eric Matthews' kidnapped son in Saw 2? Oh, is it this guy? It's this guy who plays Robbie, <laughs> Eric Knudsen, who plays Robbie Mercer. That's true. My I mind like was I blown. Was funny. My mind was blown. Had no idea. Uh, very confusing. Uh, you know, pretty a nice, uh, nice comedic performance, I guess. He, uh, once again, not a bad performance, but if we're going to have to be you know, constantly comparing it to earlier entries, you know, pales in comparison. I mean, uh, not a lot to add. Any comments, DeAndre? How do you feel about the line where he says, uh, "Do you think that he was actually, uh, as he says, gay, or do you think that he was just trying to avoid or trying to, you know, stop Ghostface from from killing him to to keep to the rules of of these movies?" It's hard to say because there's really not much of him that would kind of be able to support it, but maybe that's kind of the point of it. And it's just kind of like, he's like, if it helps, but I I feel like it's more so that he is, he just hasn't talked about it and he's kept it kind of under wraps. And then he's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, based on all the rules of the other movies, you know, I'm not like some D bag. I I'm, I'm gay. And then Ghostface is like, Oh, that's interesting. And then it's just like kills him anyway, anyway, even though that has been listed as, even though it's been listed as potentially a rule, like obviously he dies. So it really, it really doesn't matter. So I just, I think that he, he genuinely might be, uh, there's just not a lot of evidence to necessarily support it. It's like, Oh, okay. Like we have the same, we, the audience have the same reaction as Ghostface, but he dies anyway. Yeah. Dan, Mac, any other thoughts about detective Eric Matthews son (laughs) from Sato? Yeah, I always took the the him coming out as if at face value that he was actually gay, and I, really? I yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, you, I did not. It, I I just thought. Well, I think I, I think I at the time I watched it ten years later or, or nine years later, I was like, well, that's not the way you want to introduce a gay character in this series. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, 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 totally after the fact, last ditch effort. Like and then gets killed. I, I don't know. It just seems kind of strange. No, but there, there's um in the third movie, there's there's two gay characters, right? Aren't there? I don't they reference don't they reference anyone being someone being oh, gay in the third w- movie? One of the cops watching no second movie or the second oh, movie, yeah, yeah, right. One of the cops yeah. with with yeah. Sydney. Yes, they do allude, allude um, to that. Yes, I don't. Know. I mean, yeah, I will, yeah, just, yeah, that's a yeah, good for point. Me didn't land. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if if he is, if if that if it's supposed to be sincere, I do, I do like that it's not. They didn't make him and you know super feminine or into some kind of cliche. Not not that that would have been a problem necessarily, but I like that they didn't fall into the conventions of this time and Hollywood's treatment of of gay characters. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I maybe that's why I do take it at face value because it genuinely does seem kind of surprising because they haven't really talked about it up to that point, which is why I like it. But I don't know. I could see. I mean, that character is kind of an asshole the whole time too, so I could see him just yeah. You know, slimily trying to lie his way out of it as well. I shouldn't say slimy. I mean, he's about to die. I don't blame him for, for, for if he didn't make up something about himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then we've got 
really just the we'll run these down. I mean, the, the stab seven and stab six casts. You got Anna Paquin, oh, yeah. Kristen Bell, Lucy Hale, Sinead Grimes. I love how they're all like mega, not mega fame, but like some of the more just, famous yeah. new people in this movie, which enough, I think right? is on purpose. And I, I, I love that comment on having, you know, Jada Pinkett and, and uh, Drew Barrymore die before the credits happen. I, I, I think that's like super clever. I really enjoy that. And I was genuinely, I was genuinely taking by surprise with both of the, yeah, the movies within the movies. Well, yeah, because even the, the commentary, they're even commenting on the meta aspect of things as it's becoming more and more meta. Like I yeah. like that in the screen movies, it works. I do too. It's yeah. such a weird semi-heightened reality that you still take seriously enough to feel when certain people die. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anything else to say about any of these uh, characters before we move on to our next section? <laughs> is that all of them? Oh my <laughs> oh, God. Is that Wait, it? <laughs> don't challenge me. I can find some more people to talk about. Trust me. Okay. Oh, Nancy O'Dell is back again, by the way, from Axis Hollywood. It's the fourth time she's been in the screen movie. She interviews Sydney at the book tour. Oh God. Okay. Next category. Category. We affectionately call great graphics. Ah! What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> Support this. <laughs> got the reference. I know you got the reference. Yeah. Of course you got it's, the reference. It, it's, the, it's one of the categories that once it was introduced in our nightmare season, it's... We never rechanged it. We never it, changed we need it to, for any... We didn't need to update it for anything. We need to keep using the, what do you know? I beat my high score. Sound clip. <laughs> okay, so this is a special effects section. Gary J. Tunnicliffe, who... I mean, this person, the makeup special effects for multiple Halloweens, Hellraisers, multiple Craven Productions... Return of the Living Dead movies, Feast, Pulse, list goes on and on. Directed Hellraiser Judgment, by the way. Oh, Which really? we will be covering for a Hellraiser season in 2031. We'll <laughs> keep an ear out for that in 10 years. Uh, this is, I think, indisputably, in terms of the theatrical release, this is the grisliest entry. Would everybody agree with me on that? Pretty Yeah. Story, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're on screen movies are pretty bloody in general, but yeah, this is, I, I think too, because they're what well, they say, right? The kills have to be bigger and better and messier and whatever. Mm, right. And I think they do deliver on that very much. I mean, uh-huh. even that, that head stab, I mean, it's, it's probably a joke I don't love, but it's a pretty gross death. Yeah. The entrails coming out of Olivia, we mentioned earlier too, is just wow, okay, they're really showing all this stuff. But DeAndre, I'm not sure how much you knew about the, the production of Scream 3, but it was, we talked about in the episode, but it was shortly after Columbine, and they made a real effort to make it as bloodless as possible. So in a way, it feels like this is almost making making up for that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, th- I feel like I can already echo what's been said that, you know, it's kind of been discussed in the rules, and it is a lot. It's a lot bloodier in here. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that one deleted scene when there's just that aftermath, but there's just blood everywhere and the hanging from the ceiling. I mean, it's like Casey Becker bumped up a little bit Yeah, mm-hmm. having those two dead bodies in there. And uh, it is extremely intense. And I feel that horror has probably over the years, well, not probably, but definitely over the years become more intense, like looking at the Halloween movies between like Halloween kills. Now, I mean, that was, this was, you know, 10 years ago, but that is a little more in line with maybe what we see today, but oh. I can't remember if I was too shocked about it. I don't remember like if anybody maybe looked at it and was like, wow, that that's too graphic. Cause I think we were still coming off of the, quote unquote, torture porn kind of era in a way that was so prevalent back then. So 
crossing over into the slashers, I think that it kind of fits, but might have been a little oh, daring and out there. But I can't say that I watched it and was like, oh my God, this is too much for me. But it definitely it just, was the glorious. When I was comparing it to just all the rewatches of the first three movies this year, which I've seen a few times now, I think just by comparison, I was just kind of taken aback by, oh wow, they really are getting a lot more graphic. And this is also the first time in the franchise that they were able to, most of the kills, um, the knife itself, the actual blade is CGI'd, but it looks good. I mean, it also gives you the opportunity to be a little more forceful if you don't have an actual, even retractable blade, you know? So they're able to do a lot more of right. um, action yeah, with the knife. In. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're able to do a lot more of that going in. And so I think it makes all the actions a lot more aggressive. But, you know, this, once again, this is not a series known for its elaborate special effects like a Friday 13th or a, a Nightmare on Elm Street. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they still can be pretty impactful in that regard, especially, especially this entry. Uh, but let's move on to our next category, which could be, and I always threaten this, the shortest uh, answer for a category yet. It's a category called Movies Make Psychos More Creative. <laughs> Billy, would you all right? I can't take anymore. I'm feeling woozy here. Okay, well, I guess for me, the best kill is in this movie is Olivia. Mac? Yeah, I, and we were just talking to, uh, when they go into that room afterwards and the blood all over the place, I, I do think that that is the most, like, and, and also people are watching. It's very much like the Dewey getting stabbed in the studio. You know? mm. um, it's pretty brutal. Deandra. I would have to agree with the, uh, the same thing, Olivia. I mean, the aftermath, even though it's a deleted scene and technically not in the movie, that's, that's pretty graphic too. But I think those same kind of themes, the blood everywhere and, and hanging around it, 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 it's very much Olivia. I mean, sitting there on the bed with her intestines out is so, it's so intense. Like having a teenager do that to somebody else, no matter what, it, yeah. it, it, it's just, it's so graphic. It's intense. And it, it, it is the best kill of the film. I feel as well. Yeah. All right. I'm going to break the, I'm break the rules. As, uh, as Ghostface oh, says, I agree that that's the best kill and trails always get to me. But in screen movie does them really nasty. And well, this isn't a kill, but the most disturbing scene to me is, is Jill harming herself i i i that weirdly makes me squirm more than any of the actual murders in this movie it just and it goes on so long like we said but i also think because it shows how much of a psycho she is which we also Mm -hmm. talked i mean it's just it's it's like i think max said it. it's like the thing where it goes to funny but then it goes on so long that it goes past funny again so that's it gets uncomfortable again very uncomfortable and one one of the highlights of the series yeah it's hard to walk that line yeah yeah so that's that's mine all right, well, listen, I've got another question for everybody here. Are you ready for the question? Yeah. Do you like scary movies? Do you want to die? Is that the best you can do? Because Billy and Stu were much more original. Yes. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy that, that <laughs> you like scary movies because here's what we're going to do. This will be a lot of fun for me. This is going to be a rapid fire. We're going to oh, name... No. Rapid fire. If you see, if you've got the notes ready, get ready. We're going to talk about references to other horror movies that are made in Scray 4M, Scream 4. So I will start us off. The, the, the Saw franchise gets slagged on during the opening. Uh, Mac. 
they, they I don't know if they, they reference this in the other films, but we find out that Robert Rodriguez film, uh, directed Stab One. <laughs> yeah, I think they do say that at the uh, beginning yeah, okay. of. Uh, uh, well, they and then aside from that, they they Final Destination is is mentioned. That's right, uh, Deandra. Keeping Tom is mentioned as the first slasher. I mm-hmm. think that that maybe probably mm-hmm. could count. <laughs> That's right. That, 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 I had that in my notes too. Dan? Yeah, I need to see Peeping Tom still. I've never seen oh. that movie. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Gunnar Hansen. There you go. Hills of Eyes poster and Feast posters are in the, uh, the club's classroom. Feast, of course, uh, the person who did the makeup for that did the makeup for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac? Also in the poster in the cinema room is Dawn of the Dead and The Thing. Um, and mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's H2. <laughs> Which are all remakes. Well, Halloween H2 isn't really a remake, except oh, and the thing. Oh, well, I know the thing is a remake, yeah. Right. That's okay. very true. I didn't think about that. Deandra? And I mean, there's a lot of the remakes uh, mentioned. So there's like that whole list. And then there's just like a lot of posters on the wall for like mm-hmm. the cinema club and even Kirby. Oh, there's also a mention of uh, Final Destination when Olivia talks about the Final Destination franchise should be about Sydney since everybody who meets her dies. Bam. I got that yeah, note too. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Bambi is Kirby's favorite scary movie. <laughs> Mac. I don't know if that counts, but yeah. <laughs> Kirby mentions Suspiria as one of her favorite films or, or that yep. she has, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'm trying to remember the Kirby's huge list that she goes over when that's uh, a thing. Went through, I, I, we went through I, most I, of them. Deandra yeah. yeah. alluded to that too. She she literally, I mean, not literally, but she basically names like every horror remake in yeah. the 2000s. I mean, you could yeah. argue the other Scream movies, right? I mean, it's in. I know they never they don't call them the Scream movies, but they're in cut through Stab. I feel like the movie is in conversation with everything that came before it. Yeah, true. True. I'm trying to think if there's any any other like explicit ones outside of the phone call. Yeah. Did we get them Shaun all? Of, I'm sure we did. Watching Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. They're watching Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, true. So I think, Andrew, you listed this earlier, but the "Who are you, Michael Fucking Myers?" that Jill says to Sydney because she will not die. Yeah. And the last one. Oh boy. Well, uh, Gail says that Sydney is the Daniel Radcliffe to her J.K. Rowling, and we're gonna leave it right there. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna leave it sitting right there. And J.K. Rowling's <laughs> a horror on. movie right now. Oh boy. And we're gonna move on to our Just final. Kidding. I love Harry Potter. We're going to move on to our final category, and it's a category called One Last Scare. Brandy said the killer's always superhuman. Yeah, well, he wasn't superhuman, Dewey. He wasn't superhuman at all. All right, so it's time to give our final ratings. And a rating, what do we do for this? Is it one to five uh, ghost face masks, mm-hmm. I believe, is the rating scale? Okay, we're going to go with it. I'm demanding we go with that. One to five. So let's start off with Dan Caffrey. Dan, let's get a one to five. How many ghost face masks are you giving this? I'm going to go ahead and give it three and a half ghost face masks out of five, which maybe sounds low for me because I'm usually a very generous grader, and I do like this movie a lot, but I do have to come back a little bit to the characters. Like I said, I think thematically it's on point. It predicted a lot of things whether knowingly or not it does resonate more with me now than when it did a decade ago but i still don't remember some and when i say characters i mean the um new supporting teenagers for the most part they don't stick with me quite as much as 
the originals do. And you know, part of that's unfair because I was a high school, I was a middle schooler when I first saw scream and like, that was what I grew up on. Right. And so I think some of the attempts to make the new stew, the new billet, whatever, even if the movie is self-aware enough that these aren't as the same as the originals, it just takes away from the memorability of the movie just a tad for me. Mm. So, yeah, so I'm going to get, and, and I do think it gets a little, I mean, it's a, by far the longest screen movie, I think, right. I, I think it gets a little long, um, especially in the middle, but I love that third act. I love the, the killer reveal in this. I think the OGs who come back from scream, they do such a good job with them. And I like it a lot better than scream three. So I'm excited to see where this goes. So three and a half out of five goes face masks for me. Maki, Mac. I'm going to echo Dan pretty much word for word. I, I, you pretty much said everything I wanted to say. I, I'm going to give it three and a half ghost face masks and maybe a, a CG uh, knife. <laughs> CG knife. I didn't know the knife was CG. Masks. That's impressive. Not every time, but a lot of the time it's a, it's yeah, a CG knife. Yeah. yeah, I just, I genuinely enjoyed the movie. I think there's some new things being done, which is really hard to do in this franchise, I think. And I, and I appreciated that. You know, it gets a whole mask just for that fucking line that Sydney says, the the don't fuck with the original. I mean, when that you know, if it was if I was wavering at all when I first watched the movie, when she said that, I was just like, Yes, like it's such a good line. But uh yeah, I'm excited about the next one and uh I hope we I hope Kirby returns. <laughs> I like that, that that option's out there now. The return of Kirby. All right, yeah. Deandra, what about you? Uh, I'm actually going to give this a four and a half, four and a half ghost face yeah. masks out of five yes. because of how much I love this, how much I uh, feel like it's relevant now more than even if it was, even it was in 2011, Jill is totally insane. The kills are off the wall, gory. We don't focus too much on the original cast. I love the attitude that Gail has in this movie and just the theme of like, what people will do for fame. I mean, that is just, I just can't get over that. That is like so smart. It's, it's so on point for how things have gone over the years. And, uh, I, I just love Kirby and, and Wes still put so much thought into like all the movies, everything everybody has done as far as the screen franchise it just continues to be so smart and so poignant and i i feel like this outdoes two and three so it's definitely four and a half all right that's that's good for me i, I listed some of the negatives i know i was kind of on my own island about you know i think the look of the movie the cinematography or the lighting or whatever is going on doesn't always look a hundred percent to me or as consistent as the first three movies look um, not just because it looks different from those first three movies but i just don't think it really looks it's not really pleasing to look at i guess in a lot of sections again i mentioned the weird plot points of, of kirby and gang just kind of being like oh let's just all go to the parties and, and go to a movie thon the next day that's still kind of bizarre to me you know the <laughs> characters obviously aren't as strong as some of those earlier entries overall but again i think that the the climax and the reveal is absolutely fantastic still even after having seen this three times now i still think it holds up the last 30 minutes really, really works for me. Even the hospital stuff works because of how that's handled. And we talked a lot about the topics. And I think the reason that Scream 3 has aged a little bit better is because of how prescient it was about the Hollywood system and and the reveals that would come out about that and how this movie is very prescient, again, like Dan said, and we've all kind of touched upon about fame and about social media and about the importance of 
there's a lot, a lot of people about how much fandom means over genuine friendships and how we can get lost, how we can all in some ways get lost in the shuffle there. So for all those reasons, I would give this uh, three ghost face masks out of five with, you know, a touch of that, uh, fuck Bruce Willis energy given by damn you. the late, this for Dan, for the late officer, Anthony Perkins and in tribute to Anthony Perkins. God bless him and rest in peace. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you can find myself, Mac, and Dan Caffrey over at the Losers Club. That's right, the Losers Club podcast as well. There's also Patreon, patreon.com backslash the Barons. If you want to find a lot more content in addition to the great franchise work we do here on the main feed for Halloweenies, why don't you hop on over to good old Patreon there as well, patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. Andrew, where else can they find you in the... And we've talked about this a lot. Social media. Where can they find you? <laughs> well, I'm on Instagram at Sassy Sledgehammer. The full thing on Twitter wouldn't allow me to put all of the letters. So it's Sledge H-M-M-R with a few of the vowels missing. So mm. if you guys like <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street and just really weird memes and potentially every so often something stupid, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's like that's the best of social media description right there. That's really good. <laughs> Dan and I'll Mac, update any- my bio. <laughs> <laughs> Dan yeah. Mac, real quick, anything else to add in, in addition to those? Or are you guys pretty much well set? I think I'm mean, good. Yeah, we're really psyched about uh, next month. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, we got some more surprises fun. in store for December for sure. I can't believe we're just about done with this season already. Season four, Isn't that crazy. Wild wow, man, we've got a couple more months. Yeah, but only one more movie to cover from this franchise, which is wild to I think know. about. But uh, looking forward to that. Wild, folks, stay safe out there. I have no real joke to make about that. Stay safe out there. Be well, and uh, remember what you should never say, but we're, we're all going to say right now. We'll be, we'll be right, right back. back. <laughs> I would You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>